If you'll turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, we begin a new series today in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. And I have these NIV New Testaments, if anybody would like one, as we're going through Matthew in the evening at 5, we're going to be going through Acts. Um, If anybody wants one, I just have a bunch of them, so feel free to pick one up if you want to use it for this study. We'll be using the NIV. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll go back and look at a few things in the passage. Let's pray first, though. Father in heaven, here we are. We're your people gathered here because you've called us here. You've gathered us here today. We're your church. We're your saints. We're your people. Help us now, Lord. Speak to us by your word. Speak to us by your word and by your spirit. Uh, Speak these things to our hearts. Illuminate us. Shine your light into us. Uh, Set us on fire with your truth and with your love. Encourage us and strengthen us. Increase our faith, love, hope. Do a work in us, Lord, by your word, by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read chapter 1 here to you. I'm not going to read every one of those names. I'm going to skip around a little bit, um, but uh, you'll be able to follow pretty easily uh, what I'm doing. Uh, So Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and of course that's Bathsheba. So then what we get for the next few verses here are a listing of the kings in the, in the Davidic line, beginning with David, then Solomon. Then he goes through all the kings up to the exile, the kings of the southern kingdom in the Davidic line, David's line, all the kings of Judah. And then we get to uh, verse 12, uh, verse 11. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. This is when then Judah goes into exile to Babylon, and so the, the king's ruling comes to an end. But then we read on. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. In Sunday school a few months ago, or a while back now, we studied about Zerubbabel. Then we get, we get more uh, another line. The line continues and continues until you get to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. And notice that it doesn't say that Joseph is the father of Jesus. He's not the biological father in the same sense as as these other people who've been mentioned. But it says this, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary 
was the mother of Jesus, biologically, who was called the Messiah. Now, the point of all this is that Joseph is indeed Jesus' father, but it is by adoption. It is legally, he, the, this whole line that's traced out for us here is Joseph's line. This is Joseph who is in the line of David. Joseph who is in the line that goes back through David. That's the, Mary's line, we're not as sure about what Mary's line is. But Joseph, the reason we're being told this is because what's important, what is, what is absolutely important is who is the father, and the father is by adoption, which was considered 100% real, 100% legitimate. It didn't matter that he wasn't the biological father. He was the legal father. He was the one who adopted Jesus. Jesus was born to Mary, and we're going to explore that in a minute. But David, I mean, uh, Joseph is, is, is Jesus' father. Um, and then it says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And you should know this. It's not that important for the sermon, but just it's, it's important. It, it may be important to, to think about this if you're reading other parts of the Bible, that this is the way they did genealogies. They, um, they skipped certain generations and they went to certain numbers that had symbolic meaning or were easy to remember or whatever. It's not actually literally 14 generations in each of those. Um, this is, a, this is a, a, a symbolic number, a memory device. And this is, not, this is the way they did genealogies. They skipped generations. Um, if, you, if you're a grandfather, they might say, you know, they might treat it as, as the father. But so there are a few people who are, who are skipped in here. But, so the, po- the point is not it's exactly 14, but the point is it's approximately 14 each. Um, and, that's what, uh, and, and that's what these generations are in these three periods. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on the genealogy today, but I'm going to focus more on the second half of the chapter. But I do want to say a few things really quickly before we move on. One is, notice how it begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. For a Jew, son of David was a synonym to Messiah. The anointed one, the coming king, the one that God has prophesied, the deliverer who is coming, this great king, the Messiah, is the son, the son of David. And so it needed to be demonstrated that Jesus was in this line, that he was from, he was from this Davidic line, that he was in the son of David. He is the anointed of God, the one, uh, the one uh, blessed by God, chosen by God to be the Messiah, the king, the deliverer. And the Messiah was the one, according to the Old Testament prophecies, The Messiah was the one who was going to come, this great king, this anointed of God. He was going to come and he was going to set everything right and usher in the golden age, a new age like the world and like Israel had never seen before, a golden age when God's glory was on the earth and when everything was set right. And so what's being claimed here is an incredible claim. Matthew was saying this one, is this one that we have waited for. This is the anointed of God. This is the Christ. This is the Mashiach. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've waited for. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And another important people names in here from the prophecies, he's the son of Judah. That was also important. The son of Judah and the Judah line, because the prophecy said he'd be a son of Judah too, right? Um, And so, uh, and so this line is important that this is telling us. And what this is telling us is, is that, um, that uh, all of these, you know, all the kings here and all the people before the kings and the ones after the kings, that they are all of Israel's history. All of Israel's history was leading up to this, was leading up 
to Jesus. Everything that happened in the Old Testament, everything that happened in their entire history was leading to this one, to Jesus. It's all pushing to Jesus. It's not, when you read the Old Testament, if you don't understand about Jesus, if you don't understand when you're reading parts of the Old Testament that where this is leading us, where this is directing us, where this is pushing us is to Jesus, the Messiah who, will, who is coming in this line and will fulfill all of this and answer all of these prophecies. If you don't know this one, then you've missed God's point. Then you've missed the point of the Old Testament. You've missed the point of Israel's history. You've missed the point of everything about the Jews and everything about Israel being called out. If you miss this one, the one that it was all leading to, the one it was all directed to. Um, it's interesting, I'll just say this in passing, but these genealogies are usually a bunch of men, but they, they, he actually brings in some women of course, he brings in Mary, Jesus' mother, at the end because she is the biological mother of, uh, she carried Jesus in her womb. But other women are listed too. And sometimes it's said, and I want to make a correction of this, sometimes it's said these four women are listed and we're supposed to note them because they're, they're notorious sinners. That's not really the reason. They're Gentiles. Uh, Bathsheba's sin was not her own sin. That was David's sin. The sinner was David. The, the sinner in this genealogy is David. David's the sinner. Tamar was not the sinner. Judah was the sinner. Uh, 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 Rahab was a prostitute. And you may say, well, that's a sinner. Yeah, uh, in, in history, most of the time people are prostitutes not because of their own sin, but because they've been forced into it by others' sin. So it's not about their sin. And of course, Ruth was not a sinner at all. Um, but uh, but these, four, these four women are all Gentiles. So just note that. Note the fact that there are notorious sinners in Jesus' line, men, and there are Gentiles in Jesus' line. In this line here, there are, these four women are all Gentiles. Bathsheba, Rahab, Ruth, and Tamar are all Gentiles if you go back and read the history. In other words, there may be a few Jews here today. There may be a few here with Jewish blood today, but I bet a bunch of y'all are just nasty old Gentiles. And I bet a bunch of you are notorious sinners, too, or have been notorious sinners. And I know every one of you are sinners. In Jesus' own line, he came to deliver human beings, real sinners, Jews and Gentiles. And it's important to note that and remember that as, as we push forward here. Um, let me read for you the next section now. The next section. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, they were still engaged. They hadn't come to live together. It, it, Jews, by the way, would live together in an engagement period that was as binding as marriage. They would, I'm sorry, they would not live yet together in the engagement period. And then at the marriage, they would then begin to live together. But the, but the engagement period was just was serious. You only could break it by a divorce. But you didn't live together yet. So they hadn't come together yet to live together, be together. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they lived together, before they'd slept together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son 
of David. Notice that it's absolutely fundamentally important that, G- that Joseph is the son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Terry read it this morning. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, which means by this act, it means he is saying, this is my son. Legally, this is my son. And he, Joseph, gave him the name, Jesus. Now, I want to point your attention. Our theme for this morning, the main thing we're going to focus on is verse 23. The quote from Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This doesn't mean this is his name. It means this is what he is. This is is his title. This is his reality. This is the prophecy said about him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So let's pause there and think about that for a moment before we look at more details. What we're being told by this is that God, the great and glorious God, is with us in Jesus. God is with us in Jesus. And let me make that a reality for you. When he says God is with us, that means God is with you. If you are a believer, if you have faith in Jesus, what you're being told is that God is with you in this one. In Jesus, God is with you. He is with you. He is for you. Right now at at, at our time in history, um, it seems that that many of us, it seems like that the church in the United States of America is is really struggling right now. There seems to be like a dark cloud hanging over us. I know this isn't true of everyone. I know that some of you, this isn't true of you at all. But for many of us in the church, the United States of America, this particular church, with all the things that we've been through, we've been through other things even before the pandemic um, that we've been struggling with. But with the pandemic, though, with other uh, pains and troubles that we've had in this church and that many of you have in your own lives, with the wrangling going on, the constant political, social, cultural wrangling, wrangling all the time, there's just this dark mood. There's this dark cloud hanging over many of us. And all I want to do this morning is to remind you of Emmanuel, that God is with us, that God is with you and you and you and you in this one, in this baby who grew up to uh, uh, to be a man, to live and die, is our Messiah, is our Emmanuel. And we need to stop living 
like we don't realize this reality, like we're not connected to this reality. We need to stop moping around. It's okay to, I mean, Aaron talked to us about lament a few weeks ago. We must lament. We go through horrible things, and you must lament that. You're not dealing with the sorrow of some terrible thing that you go through if you don't lament and take that to God. That, that must be done. But what, 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 what can happen and what I see happening in the church and what I see happening in so many Christians, not all of you, not everyone, but in many, is a moping around. Like we don't understand anymore what is really going on, what the real reality is. There are troubles. There are problems. There are difficulties. There's a pandemic. God is with us. God is with us. Do you understand what, do we understand what that means? This is the best news that the world has ever received. This is the most fundamental truth. There, are, there is no truth greater than this. God, in this one, God is with us. And we are ignoring the evidence. We are looking at some of the evidence. We're looking at the bad things. We're looking at the things that bother us, the things that frustrate us, the things that get us down. But we are ignoring the fact, the fact of Emmanuel. Ignoring the reality and the fact of, um, we are not defined by our troubles. We are not defined by our sins. We are not defined by our disasters. We are not defined by our sorrows. We are defined by the one who has called us out, the one who is our Lord and Savior, the one who is Emmanuel. He is God with us. We're defined by Jesus. This is the most important thing you have ever heard, what I just read to you. Did your heart sing? Did your heart thrill? Did your heart rejoice? I know some of you are blazing with the fire of Emmanuel, blazing with the fire. But will you help the rest of us who are cold, who are struggling, who are in darkness, who can't get our eyes off the trouble, who can't get our eyes off the pestilence, who can't get our eyes off the sorrows, and, and we can't remember anymore Emmanuel. He has come. God is with us. This is what the promise is of this. And we're ignoring the evidence if we don't reality. And so my, my call to you today, and we're going to look at some more details here and, and pull this out a little bit more, but my call to you th th this morning is this. Let us live like God is with us. What that means is let us walk by faith. Let us walk by faith. Let us live like this truth that the Scriptures tell us is the actual truth, is the actual reality that God is with you and with you and with you and with you and your connection to Jesus Christ. God is with you. He is for you. He is not going to leave you. He is never going to forsake you. He is never going to abandon you. He is with you. God has come. God is with us. Live like God is with us. And let me just say, since we talked about worship this morning, when you get in here on the Lord's day, worship like God is with us. Sing your praises, shout for joy, as the Psalms call us to do, like the Messiah has come, because he has. It's true. It's all true. It's the reality. This is what's going on. And some of us, we need to read our Bibles until we snap out of it. Snap out of it. 
Whatever dark clouds are hanging over you, I'm not talking about seasons of, of, of utter disaster where there, there has to be lament. There have to be tears. Of course we will cry. We will weep. Jesus himself wept and cried. But I'm talking about this long, protracted time where we begin to forget months and years go by where we forget the fundamental reality of Emmanuel. God is with us. Mary found herself with child, and the baby in her was everything, was God. And she gave birth to God. She is the Theotokos. She, she, she gave birth to God. She gave birth to one person who had a divine nature and a human nature. One person joined together with a human nature and a divine. Let's read on. Let's read a little bit more here. Look at verse, go back to verse 18. I want to explain a few things before we push on. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they began to live together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And of course, this was to be sure that it was known that it had nothing to do with Joseph. They hadn't begun to live together yet. It was, this was before they had come together. Um, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law or righteous, uh, that's an that's a interpretation of what, what the word is there. It really says he was a righteous man, which meant, a righteous man meant that it was somebody who cared about God's law and obeying God's law. I'll talk about that in a second. And yet, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The idea is this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the idea was this, that Joseph reflects to us just in this brief moment. We don't know much about Joseph. We don't hear a lot about him in the Bible, but we hear this thing about him here, which tells us a lot, which tells him he already had a little bit of, 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 of what God wanted to to work, uh, would work through Jesus. In other words, he cared, he was righteous man. He cared about God's law and God's law said that if someone, that if you're, that if you're, you're engaged to someone and they commit adultery, you're supposed to divorce them. That's what God's law said. You shouldn't join together with someone who committed adultery. But at the same time, he also had mercy on Mary, who he thought was a sinner. He thought she was a sinner. He thought she'd slept with someone. At this point, that's what he's thinking. He thinks that she's done something wrong, but he has, do you know how mad that makes? someone? You know how jealous and frustrated that makes someone? And yet uh, Joseph's response is not to publicly shame her and humiliate her, but his response is to do it very quietly. Why? Because he had mercy on her. He had compassion on her. He was supposed to divorce her. That was what the law said. So he was going to do that. He was going to be righteous and follow the law. But he joined to that, which they should be joined together, obedience should always be done in love, right? And always be done in mercy and compassion. And so we see in this the way what Jesus is going to call us to later, to obey God's word, but obey it in the sense of love, that it's love that obeys God's word. It's love that fulfills God's. And also we see in here this mercy on sinners. Jesus is coming to save sinners. And Joseph, thinking Mary is a sinner, he has mercy on. So there's a, there's a little bit of the hint of the character there of, of where we're going in the gospel of Matthew. But let's read on, verse 20. Read on with me. But after he had considered this, Joseph had considered this, he had decided this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Why? How could I do that, Lord? The law says that if she's committed adultery, I must divorce her. How can I do that? 
Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God. This is not sin. This is not disobedience. What is in her is something that will blow your mind, Joseph. She has within her a child that is conceived by the Holy Spirit within her. And she will give birth to a son, and you, Joseph, are to adopt him, to make him your son, part of your family. Bring her into your home. Treat this son, this, this boy, as your son, because he will be your son. He will be. You will be his human father. She will give birth to a son, and you, Joseph, are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So, a few things I want to pull out from here. First of all, we see that Mary is pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not by any uh, man's decision. It's not by any, uh, anything that a man has done. It is completely the work of God and completely the work of the Holy Spirit. And even this, this, this virginal conception, the conception itself of a virgin conceiving a child uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit, even that itself echoes to us, uh, echoes to you and me, our reality. Because what do we teach? We teach that, that we are regenerated, that life is born in us by the work of the Holy Spirit, and it has nothing to do with us. Even this, even this miraculous, uh, miraculously conception speaks to you and me about what we have experienced. You did not make the decision for God. You did not choose God. You did not uh, search for God and find him. God worked life in you by his Holy Spirit. He birthed life in you. He conceived new, green, spiritual life in you by the work of his Holy Spirit. This is what God did in you, and he did it in me. So this echoes, this even echoes who we are. Notice that Jesus' name, what does Jesus' name mean there? Um, it's the name in Hebrew, Joshua, right? There were two uh, famous Joshua's in the Old Testament. One of them, we just read the whole book about him, right, for the last six months or so. And in Sunday school, we studied the other Joshua a few months ago. Um, so there's these famous Joshua's in the Old Testament, but this is Jesus, and the name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, God, saves. That's the name he's taken that's the name that he is going to be given and the name that, jo- that he's, the angel tells him to name his son and Joseph is going to name him. Yahweh helps, Yahweh saves, Yahweh helps, Yahweh delivers. And I want you to remember this, something this morning. Even in Jesus' name itself, that's speaking to you about yourself. You are the one helped by Yahweh. You and you and you. Jesus' name speaks to you about yourself. You are the one saved and helped by Yahweh. That's you and that's me. That's who we are. Jesus' name tells us about the greatness of Yahweh and the greatness of who he is and the greatness of what he's come to do, but it tells us something about ourselves, who we are. Take encouragement. Remember the realities. Remember the facts, the truth. And then notice something else here. He says, um, uh, 21, she will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His people. Huh. He will save his people from their sins. That's you, East Ridge Presbyterian Church. That's you. You. Sitting here, In 2021, in this pew, in the middle of a pandemic, that's you, his people. 
Jesus came for his people, you and me. He saved us from our sins. Jesus came to liberate you. You are his people. This is about you. You're in the story. You're in Matthew chapter 1. You're in that expression, his people. You and me, you're in the book. You're in the Bible. You're part of his people. That's you. Can you, can you receive that encouragement today? Can you receive that excitement today? Can you receive that joy, that, the reality of this, the truth of who you are, who he is, and who he has come for? You, you and me. This is who he's come for. And it says that Jesus came to liberate us from our sin, which basically means to liberate us from ourselves. We are lost sinners apart from Jesus. We were going the wrong direction. We were doing the wrong things. We had the wrong attitudes, the wrong words, the wrong thoughts. And Jesus has entered into our life at his initiative, has entered into our life, and he has done something um, that only he can do. And it was to liberate us from ourselves to liberate you and me from ourselves, not only the guilt of ourselves, but even actually to to begin to help us to turn away from those sins, to repent and to go a new direction. And this is something Jesus did. And it wasn't you, your bright idea. You know, I'm going to start to, I'm going to start to make some changes. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this up. And no, no, that was God coming into your life and saying, I am taking hold of you and saving you from yourself, your direction, your thinking, your wisdom, your actions were taking you in a, the opposite direction. And Jesus acted in your life. The Holy Spirit acted in your life. And apart from him, you were gone. You were lost. You were gone forever. And he said, no, you're not. You're not going. I'm taking hold of you right now. And we're doing something different. And I'm going to help you and stay with you every step of the way. I'm going to save you from yourself. And so, but let me tell you something else. What that means is when I tell you, Emmanuel, God is with us. Are you living like God is with us? Are you rejoicing like God is with us? Are you worshiping like God is with us? Don't give me your sins as an excuse. Don't tell me about what a bad sinner you are. I, yes, I would be, I would be happier about these things if I didn't have this problem and have this sin and have this sin. Jesus deals with sin. That's the business he's in. That's what he came to save you from sin, from yourself. So don't use your sins as an excuse. Jesus, that's the very business that he is in. Show me those sins. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to cleanse them. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to help you. Sins are no excuse for living like Emmanuel, like God is with us. For not living that way. Sins are no excuse. Yes, you have sins, but that is exactly what Jesus has come to deal with, to deal with you, to deal with yourself, to deal with your sin. And let me tell you one other thing really quickly. Is there somebody you're worrying about? Is there somebody over there, there's this person that you're worrying about them and you're worrying about their sins? They're going the wrong direction. They're, they're doing wrong things. They're, they're going the wrong direction. They're, 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 they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And you're letting that worry consume you. I want to remind you of something. Do you think that her sins can stop Jesus? Do you think his sins can stop Jesus? Jesus always finds sinners in their sin and turns them. They're not not, not doomed because they're in sin right now. God can always act. Jesus can always act. God is, there's always hope. 
There's always more that can be done, and God is always working, and Jesus is always working. Let's look at verse 22 and close up here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The profound truth of this, which this passage begins to shed the light of, and so many other passages you've got to go to, to to learn more about this, and so many other passages teach on this as well. And when you bring all those passages together, which the, which the pastors of the church have been doing for 2,000 years and meditating on this and, and pulling this together, and we, we're still saying, we're still all saying together, it's a mystery. We're still all saying, all the pastors of the church are still all saying, it's a mystery. We can't understand it, but there are some things we can tell you that, that aren't true, and there, is a, there are a few basic things that we can tell you. And when I say the pastors of the church, yeah, I mean the pastors of the church. I mean all of them. The Catholic pastors, the Orthodox pastors, the Protestant pastors, we're all saying this. There's no disagreement except for a few nut jobs. I mean, you you can always find a nut job. But I'm talking about all the pastors are saying this. All the pastors for 2,000 years, we're saying this. We're giving you this word. We've written it down in many different forms. You're going to see one of them this morning in the Athanasian Creed. But what we find in Jesus is there are two natures in one person. One person. Only one person. He's not a human person and a divine person who who walk closely together. He's one person with a divine nature and a human nature, which means in his human nature, he experienced hunger. In his human nature, he experienced weariness. In his human nature, he had to be taught things that he didn't know. But in his divine nature, does God ever change? Can God ever fluctuate, change, get better, get worse? No, in his divine nature, Jesus in his divinity has been the same for eternity. There's just this year on the calendar when he added to himself human, a human nature, but still one person. One person now with a divine nature. And so sometimes in the Bible you say, this sounds like a human. Yeah, it does, because that's his human nature. This sounds like God. Yes, it is. You're right, because that's his divine nature. He's two natures in one person. One, two natures joined in one person. That means that as, that as a baby, like little Boaz right now with Krista, you know, he, he was in his uh, mother's arms, feeding from his mother's breast, drawing nourishment in his human nature, while in his divine nature, He was feeding the little birds all over the world. Both true at the very same time. Both true in the same person. Divine nature. And this is, this. can I explain that to you? No, I can't. This is the mystery. We believe this on the basis of God's word, on the basis of what God's word says. This is the truth. And what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? This reality that God is with us, that he has come. It means that God... God in his infinite distance away from us. We're, cre- we're creation and he's the creator and he's infinitely distant from us. What this is saying is, is that God, the creator of all things, infinitely distant from us, entered into human nature. He became as close to you and me as our humanity, our skin and our bones, our blood, our beating heart, our tongues, our eyes. He became one with that. He's come, he's come, he's come that infinite distance of creator all the way into human nature. And that means, what else does it mean? That's how close he is to us. God is with us. And what else does it mean? It means God didn't just send somebody. He didn't just say, you know, I'm going to send somebody really good. I'm going to send somebody really good who's really going to help you guys out. God came. He came. It was him. 
That baby was him. That was Yahweh. When his name was Yahweh saves, it didn't just mean he's going to save people because Yahweh sent him. It meant he is Yahweh. He is God. God is with us. He came to us. And another thing that this is telling us is that now you can know God. The Bible tells us that because Jesus has come and he has shown us God in our human flesh, you can now know him. You can know God. When you read the Gospels, the Word of God, the Scriptures telling us about Jesus, about the Son of God, you can know God. Um, you can know him because he has come in human flesh. Now he's, on a, he, he's before us in a way that we can know, we can understand, we can um, we can uh, imitate, we can love, we can all of these things. This is what has happened in, when he's been brought to us in this, in this way. We can now know God. You and I can know God in Jesus. Another thing is it means is that your sin can no longer separate you from God. Jesus came to deal with your sin. He came all the way and he came into your sin and he came into this sinful world. He took all that distance and he has removed that distance. He's dealt with your sin so he's removed the barrier and removed the distance. And let me say one other thing that I want to make sure you understand, because sometimes people get the idea, well, that's nice. Jeez, 2,000 years ago, God came into the world, and he, was a, and he was a man, and people saw him, and that's cool and everything, and we got the stories about it. But he's not with us now. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures actually teach. Follow me on this, because if you missed this, you've missed everything. Follow me on this. When Jesus was on planet Earth, you had to go find him. You had to find out what town he was in, what street he was in, what home he was staying in. Oh, there he is. There's, there, there's, there's this one. There's the Messiah. Let's, let's see if we can get close enough to hear what he's saying or to see one of his miracles. Let's see if we can get close enough uh, that, we can, that we can see him and hear him and smell him. But now that Jesus has ascended to heaven, he is with us all. Do you remember what he said at the end? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God is with, he is with us now. He said that when I go away, I will be with you in a way that I was never with you when I was here. Now I am with all my people everywhere. Jesus is with you and with me. Now, in his, in his spirit, he's with you and he's with me. Even now, in the 2021, Jesus is still with everyone who has faith in him. He is connected to us. He is with us. Last two verses. When Joseph woke up, this is a man who does what God tells him to do. He, he, he obeyed the Bible, and then God tells him that there is no sin, so do something else, and he obeys what God tells him. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name. Yahweh saves. He gave him the name. Jesus. Pause for one moment to think about this. What Mary and Joseph had to do, we, we rushed past this pretty quickly, and it's not the main point of the story, but it is worth considering. What Mary and Joseph had to do here was something very, very hard. Mary had to carry a baby that was not her husband's and had to, endure, had to endure all the shame of that and all the trouble that came with that. Joseph had to, against everybody's ideas about what should happen here, had to take this woman home who had looked like had committed to and bring her home. This was a difficult thing for, for Mary and Joseph to do, a difficult thing for them to go through. So was there trouble in their life? Was everything peaches? No, this was trouble. 
there were difficulties in their life. This, was, this, 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 this put them in a very difficult circumstance, in a very difficult social, cultural situation in this. You know, basically, Joseph, by bringing her home, was admitting that he had sinned. He was admitting that he had slept with her when he shouldn't have. That's what he was, I mean, that's what it would look like to people. Like, oh, Joseph, oh, okay. Now we see what's going on. They're both terrible people. They're both horrible people. But I just want to, but let me just close with this. How could they do this? How could they do something so difficult, go through something so tough, when God, how, and when God called them to do something so hard, so difficult? Emmanuel. The Messiah is here. We can do this. The Messiah is in Mary's womb. Emmanuel, God is with us. In Mary, we may be facing some difficult circumstances, some difficult trials, but Messiah is here. Emmanuel, God is with us. And you and I as well, we can do some hard things. We can live through some hard things because Emmanuel, God is with us. The Messiah has come and he knows you and he knows me and he's one with you and he's one with me. And let us live like this is the reality. Let us live like this is true. I forgot to turn on my clock, so I have no idea how long I've been preaching um, may have been an hour at this point. I don't know. Um, but I'm still going to read Isaiah and close out with this. Let me read from you. Oh, here it is. Um, when Terry was reading it this morning, tears just flooded my eyes. What a powerful... Let's close with this prophecy. Remind you of the prophecy. Not the one in seven, which we've already read a few times, but in nine. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. This is not just about this area. This is about you and me as well, brothers and sisters. In the past, he humbled, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along with Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, our sin, death, the devil, oppression, all of these things, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. War will be burned up and put away. For, un, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Praise the Lord. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, his kingdom, his dominion, and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 